and welcome to the Energetic Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa LaFera, an astrologer, tarot consultant, and all-around creative from sunny San Diego, California. And this is the 40th episode of the podcast for the week of February 11th, 2019. So let's break it down a bit. Here's what to expect. The goal is to help guide and prepare you for the utmost awareness of the energy in the moment. For if you use the energy consciously, it has a better chance of working for you. I'll kick off the show with a weekly astro report, along with a few tarot polls and our animal ambassador of the week. Then a guest will join me in conversation around a chosen topic. And this week, I'm so happy to welcome back San Diego-based professional astrologer and group facilitator Christopher Taylor to join me on the podcast in a discussion on Martian Uprising. So before we get started here, please remember, as always, take what resonates and leave the rest, because only you know you best. So thank you so much for joining me here today, and if you'd like to show appreciation for my work and get early Sunday access for as little as $1 per month, you can do so by supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. I also have a tip jar on the front page of my website that is open for donation as well. If you are not one of those reoccurring payment type of people, to find that, you can find that over at energeticprinciples.com. So let's get down to this week's astro report. Our lunar lady starts out the week continuing to wax forward in the stable earth sign of Taurus as she heads to her first quarter moon position in the sign of the bull on Tuesday. Wednesday, communications and activity speed up as Luna glides into airy Gemini and where she will stay until moving into the sensitive waters of Cancer on Friday. She hangs out in the security-oriented waters of the crab for much of the weekend until she heads into the fiery heart of Leo on Sunday. So just a quick heads up, all time approximations are for North America. So if you live in Europe, add about eight hours. And if you are in Australia or the East, add about 17 hours or, you know, basically the following day. And keep in mind that timing isn't always precise as astrological transits, otherwise known as the connections that planets make to one another, have varied emphasis as they apply and separate. So it's quite possible to feel the energy sooner or later than the exact moment of contact. All right, my friends. Well, this week we start out with a bang as we encounter the explosive conjunction of Mars meeting Uranus at the 29th degree of Aries. And at the same time, we push forward with the first quarter moon in Taurus. The sun also chimes in with its own sextile to Uranus, ever pushing us forward towards a breakthrough, while Venus has her own tests and trials as she meets the spiritual fog of Neptune and then approaches a conjunction with dutiful Saturn. So let's not waste any time and dive right in. 
On Monday, we start out the week with the moon in Taurus, and she will make a trine to Venus and a sextile to Neptune. And so we don't have any exact transits uh, taking place that day. Uh, but the bottom line for Monday is that, um, you know, emotional energy stables out, and we are feeling pretty solid as Luna makes a trine to Venus in Capricorn. This is a day to dive into the process, taking one step at a time, making practical progress on the projects before us. Because, you know, when we feel good, we can usually make strides and feel secure in what we are doing. So use this time to your advantage, um, you know, to get things done and just to kind of get the nose to the grindstone and, and make progress. It's also possible that professional relationships will be highlighted at this time as well. And so the evening sextile to Neptune is likely to lower the energy, and we may want to slow it down a bit and and possibly enjoy some earthly comforts. So take the opportunity to let go and emotionally release a lot of the shifting energy that has been swirling about. Now, on Tuesday, we have our first quarter moon in Taurus, uh, and along the way, Luna will try and Saturn very, very early on. Uh, trying to Pluto, and then that square to the sun, which is what gives us the first quarter moon. And so, of course, we have first quarter happening at 23 degrees and 55 minutes of Taurus, but we also have Mars making the conjunction to Uranus on this day. So let's start there, because this is a very um, a key piece of the astrology this week and something that Christopher Taylor and I uh, dive into later in the program as well. But Mars, Mars, our focused, act, you know, focused energy, where we put our action, our drive, what, where we direct our motivation towards. Um, this is a fiery impulse, especially with Mars and Aries here. So there may be, you know, there can be passion rising up, but there can also be anger or aggression. You know, we may be assertive or we may be aggressive. It depends on how we use the energy. Um, Mars also has the tendency to bring, uh, especially when meeting Uranus, there could be some accidents and things along those nature, those lines, uh, because Uranus is essentially a planet that, you know, gives us fast awakenings, turnarounds, uh, can bring sudden storms that are here to shift things and shake things up. But ultimately, this is a conjunction, which is a new cycle, and the energies are coming together to basically birth its own energy and to move forward from that um, energetic signature. And so let us note that, you know, even though this is a new cycle and a new cycle that is beginning at the tested 29th degree of a sign, you know, because this is this is actually the fifth and final conjunction that Mars will be making to Uranus uh, while Uranus has been in Aries for the last seven, eight years. Um, so, you know, there's <laughs> this it's not the first time we've experienced this type of energy, but this is a push forward um, um, uh, you know, kind of a last Hail Mary around what it is that we've learned during this time. And do note, you know, this is taking place early on in the week. And so because Mars moves at a slower pace, much of what I might be talking about here may have come to pass over the weekend prior or even just leading up, you know, the whole, the whole weekend, especially as the Aries moon uh, happened uh, last weekend. Or for those of you listening on Sunday, it's happening right now. <laughs> Um, so, okay. So now let me just come out with a, like a little quick little uh, disclaimer or warning, you know, uh, that if you have planets at the last degrees of cardinal signs, so say if you have planets at in Aries, Cancer, Libra, or Capricorn, you know, kind of in that, you know, 28, 29 degree realm, 
This transit is going to, you know, be very important for you. That's really going to shake things up and hopefully in a good way. And so this transit is going to kind of make energy a little willy-nilly. So watch for, you know, being overly rash about things and our behavior um, as there may be sudden upsets uh, that come in or the potential for accidents when these two meet, especially in the impulsive fire of Aries, because Aries wanted it done yesterday and moves very fast. And so if we're going too fast, you know, we might get tripped up and that can happen very literally depending on where your own planets are. And so there is an explosive and storm-like quality to this aspect that can bring about turnarounds or sudden reversals of things. Yet, you know, this may not be entirely a bad thing if you have not been aligned with what the self needs to ascend higher. And that may be the cause for acting out to redirect your energy and motivation. Because essentially our action energy is looking to liberate itself for a fresh new cycle, and we may feel drawn into making fast changes in our lives. And keep in mind, you know, these changes that are taking place are not necessarily a new thing because we have made uh, strides in this area for several years now. And so this can be the, that last uh, push forward or that last move towards uh, liberation and, and leading ourselves to these changes that are needing to be made. Um, so there, but there is that, you know, in the moment, it's, it's different when we're looking at like a higher perspective and we're leading up to this thing, but sometimes in the moment, things can get a little, a little rocky. Um, and when Uranus is involved and Mars too, you know, there's that impulsivity, there is a a rebellion aspect. Um, there's also the possibility of sudden desires that can overtake us in a way. Um, you know, it floods us and fires us up, especially with passion because we're talking about Aries here. Um, And so, you know, like I said, it's not entirely new to you, the the moves that are going to be taken, but they may be extreme. You know, it depends on what you're going through and what your own particular chart looks like. And so, you know, this is definitely a weak period where you want to take your time and keep all your bodily parts safe from harm. Yet, yet you know, we are moving to help free up what is necessary for the next cycle. And the impetus of the self is what is favored here. So I guess I will say, you know, you play with fire, you may get burned, yet lighting the fire may also light the way forward. So let's use that common sense of the Taurus first quarter moon to help guide the way. So now let's look at this fourth quarter moon. Um, And so I wanted to look at the Sabian symbol for this real quick for 24 degrees Taurus. And it read, a mounted Indian with scalp locks. And so I found this interesting because it brought up a theme of conquer and command or um, being able to... Uh, be very poised, you know, the the native is on top of his horse and his, his hair is in this like nice, like locked tight, you know, like aligned with the intellect, like the mind and the the intellect are locked and, and have a, a sense of power to them. Uh, and because he's sitting above on the horse, there's a control of himself, the control of the horse, a possibly control of others if they meet him on foot. And so there is this sense of discipline, like self-discipline and mastery that is coming out with this degree. 
Um, and so the bottom line for Tuesday is, is that, you know, first quarter is essentially helping push us forward as we feel empowered by that trine from Pluto, because Luna is making a trine to Pluto. Um, and But we're also invigorated by that Mars and Uranus conjunction. It's lighting fires. It's sparking things up. And so our personal self-direction is awakening, and we are challenged into rooting what that is, uh, you know, deeper in in us and, and taking practical steps there and taking control of our lives and our surroundings and, you know, securing a base foundation. Yet there's a liberation that has to take place in order to, um, you know, begin that new base, And so there may be challenges, you know, we don't want to move too fast, yet we don't want to move too slow either. And so we're kind of looking for the porridge that is just right. Um, And so a sense of security is important. So kind of read your emotional barometer at this time to know if you're on the right track or not. Now, on Wednesday, the moon is in Gemini now and will make a square to Mercury. And so she's not making any exact, um, well, I mean, the moon's squaring Mercury, but we aren't getting any uh, other planetary transits that day. So the bottom line for Wednesday is, is that things liven up as Luna makes, uh, you know, goes into Gemini and makes that square to Mercury around midday, at least here on the Pacific coast. And so there's likely to be a restlessness to the day, including lots of communications and running about and juggling things. Um, And we may go back and forth in regards to the events that have transpired over the past few days, because this is a very mental you know, the mind and the emotions are merging together. And so we there may be the potential of doubt or confusion kicking in, especially since Mercury is now in Pisces. Um, and perhaps we may be even questioning what was st- being stabilized or felt so solid only a few days prior. Uh, so there may be that back and forth that is taking place. And the mind-body connection is also in transition. So go with the flow here. And, you know, whenever the moon's in Gemini, but especially when it squares Mercury at the same time, we want to note that, you know, loose lips may sink ships on a day like today. So just kind of watch out for what comes out of the mouth because chances are, you know, miscommunication can take place or what is said can be misconstrued or take on different meaning, um, especially with Mercury and Pisces. But overall, it is a high uh, energy type of day, and there may be a little anxiety in the air. So look for out for Restless Wednesday. Now, on Thursday, we have the moon still in Gemini. She'll make a square to Neptune super early on, uh, in opposition to Jupiter, and then a nice trine to the sun. And so Thursday, uh, you probably know as Valentine's Day, our sweetheart day here, which is very interesting because we have uh, some Venus transits that I'm about to get into here. So Valentine's Day uh, shall lead to some interesting things, I think. But also of note, we have Mars who is moving into Taurus. So uh, basically Mars makes that conjunction with Uranus and then bam, heads on into that stabilizing Earth energy of Taurus. Now, Taurus is not the best sign for Mars. It is the detriment, um, the nighttime detriment there. Yet it, Mars does like uh, nocturnal signs. So it, by sign, it rejoices. So it has, there's some pluses and there's some minuses to this position. And so the fire that has been lit since Mars moved into Aries back on New Year's Eve is now stabilizing out with that fixed sign of Taurus. And so where we may have been initiating the new, in particular area, 
particular areas of our lives, um, that impetus can now be grounded and stabilized in the sign of Taurus. And so energy is likely to move at a slower pace while Mars tours through Taurus, yet uh, one that is working with kind of a fixed and practical purpose towards its, you know, goals and its aims, you know, what was fired up over the past couple months is now being grounded um, and put in, you know, practical action has taken place. And so this cycle can help us root in routines for the long run, which I love how Mars meets Uranus to kind of shake off that energetic debris right before we go ahead and stabilize the direction of our desire. And sure, there can be some downsides to Mars in a sign he doesn't always function well in. Uh, you know, some examples may be being uh, to, in a stubborn position, you know, staying so stubborn that we end up uh, maybe isolating ourselves or exiling ourselves in some way where we just won't move and then everybody just moves away from us <laughs> or just the energy does. Um, yet the slower nature of the sign will help us to take practical actions towards our goals, uh, especially while Venus, which is the representative of Taurus, is still moving through Capricorn. So we kind of have this double earth energy going going on. So Mars will be in Taurus uh, up until March 30th. So we have some time with that there. And so the bottom line for Thursday is, is that dreams may have been prevalent with our middle of the night square to Neptune. So record them for some spiritual insight. So we have a couple active dreaming nights uh, this week, I've noticed. Um, and activity is still going strong with the Gemini moon, you know, livening things up. And that opposition to Jupiter during the day is likely to give us a bird's eye view of the growth that is taking place in our lives, which will allow the mind to align with a new belief of our changing stories. And so there may even be correspondence that comes in to inform us or uh, give us a potential opportunity for expansion in whatever area that lies in our chart. Now, Luna will go on to trine the sun in the evening, making this a harmonious Valentine's Day with lots of communication and activity. And Mars moving into Taurus may help to kick up that sensuality a notch as well. So I think it'll be a nice Valentine's Day, um, I'm thinking. Now, on Friday, the moon moves into Cancer and will make a sextile to Uranus, um, early on and also to Mars, and then a trine to Mercury later in the day. And so no aspects are taking place on Friday. So the bottom line is that the air of the day before now gives way to a watery, watery influence as Luna moves into the security-oriented waters of Cancer. And so sensitivities are up and emotional issues are likely on the forefront of our mind as the moon moves to trine Mercury and Pisces. And so our emotional temperature will depend on how productive the day is, as Luna makes an early morning sextile to Mars. So if we are feeling quite good, this is likely to be a productive day. And if we're not feeling that great, you may find yourself in a little bit of a rut. So just go with the flow, be easy on yourself, and provide any nurturing you may need. For if you do so, I think you'll be in good shape. Now, on Saturday, the moon is still in Cancer and will have made an opposition to Venus, uh, very probably while we're sleeping, <laughs> a trine to Neptune early in the morning. And then later in the day, um, oh, actually, mid-morning, we'll get opposition to Saturn. And then later on, that opposition to Pluto, which are some heavy weights there. 
Now, we do have Venus making a sextile to Neptune on Saturday. Um, And then she will go on to make a conjunction to Saturn, which I'll talk about here in a second. So Venus is getting a little work done uh, here on the weekend. And so Venus, what does she do? Well, she's all about relating relationships, partnerships, opening up to things, you know, being receptive, uh, finding balance and harmony in our lives, um, looking at what is worth it, you know, to some extent. And so sextiles always open the door to things. They create opportunities, um, but we have to choose to walk through them um, in, in order to take advantage of it. And so Neptune, Neptune, it, it runs the gamut from being spiritual inspiration and romance and glamour and spectacle, uh, merging with another, you know. But it also can have things such as confusion or doubt or, or loss around something or where something dissolves. And so... Um, You know, this transit can definitely help out in the creativity or inspiration department. Um, Yet with Venus and Capricorn, this may be related more to practical concerns or to where we can receive illumination around the desire of our worldly goals. And so romance is likely in the air, yet we will be attracted to things like reliable people that we can count on, you know? So if you find uh, this is going to be a theme as we get to Venus uh, meeting Saturn, but we are looking for reliability here. So romance will only take you so far uh, because we want someone that will be there uh, by our sides and to, you know, co- coexist and merge with one another. And so we want those people we can count on, and perhaps those uh, we might even be attracted to those with some power that can help us um, to attract maybe more pragmatic things that we need in our life or business-like things. So there could be relationships that are focused on uh, those considerations as well. And it could be an excellent time to kind of give to those that are in need or are downtrodden or need some help because Neptune can give us that kind of selfless and compassionate type of energy. Um, so perhaps down-to-earth gestures like maybe a little monetary uh, donation or a meal donation will be of help to someone in need. And so there is a daydream energy to this as well, and we may be lost in our own imaginations, dreaming of goals or ambitions that we have in the world. Um, And this is a transit that would probably favor the artistically oriented a lot, as it can help move inspiration in a way that can be constructively received and then initiated into a new project of sorts. Or you may uh, receive a helping hand in that endeavor. Especially as Venus is an orb of that upcoming conjunction to uh, Saturn, which is all about concretizing and stabilization. So I feel like there's an, an inspiration that is coming down that is to then be stabilized. And so the bottom line uh, for Saturday is that, you know, we have another morning that may bring interesting dreams because we have that trine to Neptune. So take note if anything comes up. Uh, But, you know, there is the chance that our crabby sides may come out on a day like today because the Cancer moon is going to oppose both Saturn and Pluto, which can bring up some emotional barriers and some intense feelings that need to be worked through and repurposed productively. And with Venus sextiling Neptune and approaching a conjunction with Saturn, relationships may be affected and we may feel a little distant or doubtful, particularly if our ideals are not met. 
So vulnerability is likely to be present because that is always kind of on the forefront when the moon is in cancer. Um, But, you know, if you open yourself up, that Venus, just enough to be seen, you know, there can be considerable emotional breakthroughs that happen on the horizon. Now, on Sunday, uh, the moon squeaks into Leo early on in the morning and will make a square to Uranus right before she does so, and then that square to Mars. And so we have a couple things taking place. We have the sun making a sextile to Uranus, um, and then we have Venus making the conjunction to Saturn, which technically happens early, early Monday morning, but, you know, technicalities are not no good here because we're going to be approaching this aspect pretty much the latter half of this week. So let's first start with the sun sextile Uranus. And so the sun, you know, whenever the sun comes up, we are looking at our life force, our vitality, where we are becoming consciously aware of something and essentially turning a page. And so once again, we have this sextile that is opening the door to an opportunity. And that opportunity lies with Uranus, which is are, you know, awakening to something or liberating an influence or just raising our vibrations in a way that can um, help to change our lives in a positive direction. And so we do have to keep in mind that this is like Mars earlier on in the week. This is happening at 29 degree critical points. So, you know, there seems to be a few tests this week in regards to our self-proposed actions and our conscious awareness of the future and its trajectory. Um, because where Mars conjuncted earlier in the week, the sun now follows suit to kind of open up the door to a fresh conscious perspective or viewpoint or even understanding um, of, of where we're headed here. And, and these new insights that are coming down can help bring us vibrationally to the next level. And so, uh, you know, this is the 29 degree here. So it may be that test uh, to get to this point. So see where you can divot from the normal mode of intellectualization uh, because, you know, the sun is at the end degree of an air sign in Aquarius and see if there are any new viewpoints that are seeking to liberate you forward. We may desire to get out of our own bubbles and interact with something new to us, or we will be tested on our ability to do that because Uranus wants to shake things up, right? So we need to shake things up before we are shooken. <laughs> That's kind of how it works. So try something different or take a different way home or just, you know, so to speak. You can take that for anything, really. Just try a different way because it might give you the perspective, um, you know, that fresh perspective that you really seek and that can help change things. Now, Venus making that conjunction to Saturn, um, you know, Venus, once again, we're talking about those, uh, that relationship and that opening up to things and, and harmonizing, uh, and also creativity and those creative desires that are inside. Um, and the conjunction, we're always, it's always starting a new cycle and the energies are merging into one. And Saturn, Saturn is all about structure, responsibility, commitment, uh, our inner authority, uh, once again, a foundation or consolidation. And we're looking at the long term here. And so when these two meet, we are arriving at a new cycle within our commitment to relationships, creative projects, and basically overall harmony in our lives. And we are opening up to where we want to dedicate that desire energy, uh, you know, going forward. And we're practically assessing where to lay down roots and initiate a more stable and workable foundation. 
Yet we are also seeing the reality of these areas as well, which may put a damper on old Venus's normal gaiety. <laughs> um, so there is either a strengthening that is taking place or obstacles that may get in our way that bring a, a potentially depressive influence because we are talking about Capricorn here. Now, regardless, we are coming down to earth. Uh, We are examining the end goal of it all, and we are making decisions accordingly as a new cycle begins. So the bottom line for Sunday is, is that this is likely to be somewhat of a testing day as the sun is at the critical 29th degree of Aquarius and the moon reactivates that Mars-Uranus conjunction um, earlier on in the week as she glides from Cancer to Leo at uh, first thing in the morning. And so we may wake up on the wrong side of the bed in some ways, yet I think that this is a day of breakthrough if we open our hearts and follow our passions. Um, and there is the possibility of drama or attention-seeking, though. You know, we have the moon in Leo, after all. And especially if affection feels a little cut off uh, as Venus approaches her conjunction with Saturn um, that will be taking place basically overnight. So we're feeling this conjunction throughout the weekend. You know, so detach enough to follow your heart, and I think you you won't go wrong. So to wrap it all up here, and it's been a lot, yes, um, this is likely to be a week of pushing into new territory, yet navigating some ups and downs as we do so. We are awakened in ways that make breakthrough imminent, yet relationships, creative efforts, and overall harmony may be tested along the way. So stay focused on your vision for the future and then, you know, stay on course. So let's take a look at the cards because they actually add another interesting dimension to all that I've spoke of. I feel like the cards are tapping into Venus this week because I drew the five of cups as the focus and the lovers as the grounding. And so with the Five of Cups as the focus, there is the possibility that things will not go as planned this week, and there may be some emotional disappointment to contend with. Uh, This card focuses on loss and grief or the potential regret over a situation that transitions in such a way that leaves us with a sense of bereavement. And even if there is not a specific event that takes place this week, this card could be a reminder that it's time to focus on the two cups that still remain upright rather than the three that have spilt. So it's now time to move forward into acceptance and peace as there is still hope to be had as long as, you know, we learn from the past while also cultivating forgiveness for ourselves and others in the process. Now, with the lovers as the grounding, this Five of Cups energy may be taking place in the sphere of relationships or having to make important decisions in our lives. Perhaps that significant choice is around choosing to leave the sadness of the Five of Cups for better times ahead, for we must consciously decide to forgive and move forward. Choosing harmony can help to free up our emotional energy so that it may be used in a better place. It's also possible that sometimes we make big decisions in our lives that, by their very nature, bring grief to ourselves and or others, you know, because things are changing. Uh, For it's, you know, it's sometimes hard to go our own way without kind of upsetting the apple cart. But whatever takes place this week, you know, go forth making the right decisions for you by honoring your values and your emotional needs. Now, last but certainly not least, this show is brought to you by this week's animal ambassador, the kangaroo. (laughs) 
Our hoppy marsupial friend here is reminding us to be grateful for what we have this week, as it's easy to lose sight of all the good things we already possess when we only focus on what we want or have yet to acquire. That kind of speaks to that five of cups too. You know, three are spilt over, but we still have two standing up. So let's be grateful for those two. So if you find yourself envious or resentful for what you don't have in your life, you know, try to turn the tables to look at it all um, from, you know, the lens of the richness that really does exist all around you. So we got to fine tune that focus a little differently here. And so gratitude is the attitude of receiving. So just be grateful for what you already do possess and the qualities and talents that are unique to you. Um, because you are on the road to receiving more and more of just what you need by kind of taking that stance. So spend the week giving thanks where you can, even if it's in the quietest moments with yourself. For that acknowledgement of gratitude will set the stage to bring more abundance your way. Now, if you'd like to go deeper with the energy of the week and how it'll interact with you, I encourage you to check out my tarot subscription on Patreon. And you don't need to be a tarot expert. You can use oracle cards, tarot, booklets, whatever works for you. It's just custom spreads that help to tap into that astrological energy of the week so you can kind of, you know, fine-tune it to see how it'll play out for you. And so every Sunday, the new spread is released to get you uh, started for the, the week. Um, and I highlight a crystal and an inspirational quote to get the mind uh, turning there. And so last week, we worked on a new sense of belonging. And this week, we are working on being yourself. So if you want to find out more, you can check out a freebie spread over at Patreon at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. Okay, now let's meet our guest. All right, I am so happy to welcome back this week's guest, Christopher Taylor. Thank you so much for being here again. Thank you, thank you. Always love it. All right. Well, and if you uh, are a somewhat recent listener of this podcast, you may have missed the episode that Christopher and I did. I want to say it was the fifth episode of the podcast, I think. Uh, it was very early on, uh, and we did an episode on Uranus moving into Taurus, which is kind of funny that we're reconvening again when Uranus is about to move towards <laughs> again. Um, and we have a theme of Martian uprising as Mars meets uh, Uranus this week. But before we get started here, Christopher, tell people a little bit about yourself. All right. Um, well, I have been doing um, professional astrology since about 2008. So over a decade now, um, mostly working with individuals, but trying to get more work uh, with more um, group level kind of events and using it as more of a tool for understanding people's differences and coming to peace with that and everything else. Um, I also, uh, you know, have my own YouTube and I blog from time to time. I'm always posting on Facebook what's happening in the skies. Um, yeah. So I think that's and then what is your, what's your handle? What's your, your business is? Uh... Sovereign Harmony. Yes. Sovereign so, Harmony. Sovereign Harmony. Yes. And, <laughs> and we yeah. talked about this uh, when I was on your podcast before, how we both kind of came into our, our titles for our, you know, our handles um, right around the same time. Right. It was like yeah. 2011 or something like that. Uh-huh. It was the beginning of um, Uranus in Aries um, when the ideas were, were seeding 
themselves. And so um, this is, and like we talked about last time, and we'll reiterate, I'm sure, um, Uranus and Taurus, this is, you know, in my opinion, when some anchoring of these ideas will have a chance to blossom. Mm, yes, I agree. You know, hanging out in that fixed energy, now we can kind of take it somewhere. Um, and it's been a long journey. I don't know about you, but this Uranus and yes. Aries transit. Oh my gosh, so many ups and downs. And it's it's so funny because one of the things um, I've been really enjoying Demetra George's new book recently, uh, the ancient astrology book, but she talks about with cardinal signs and having a lot of cardinal signs myself. And, you know, we're talking about Uranus and Aries here. She brings up the, the idea of reversals. Um, and, you know, cause essentially cardinal signs are pivot points. And so that's really been sticking with me lately. And I've been noticing a lot of themes and even my own journey in, you know, the past eight years or so, there have been a lot of pivot points and kind of reversals of energy, uh, shifting in one way or the other. Have you experienced that at all? Yeah. You know, just when you think you get a handle on things, um, it just seems like in this, this period, uh, something comes up and, yeah. and it has to change things. And then um, it's just, there's, I, I feel like it's just been no way to get consistent stability. And that's, mm. that's been my experience with it. Yeah. And well, do you think you, Uranus now moving into Taurus that kind of, <laughs> I feel like the consistent stability or like the, the kind of that comfort level is, is rocked a little bit. Um, like maybe we're stabilizing new, you know, all these things that have been birthing during uh, Uranus and Aries. But the, I don't know. I don't know if they're, if the, if will the comfort reign again, <laughs> I guess <laughs> is what I want to know. I, I think it might be, you know, scattered um, experiences of a new comfort. And that's, mm. I mean, that's the key is, um, what is, what has been comfortable, um, not serving us, but, you know, opening to ideas and situations that are actually more comfortable for us, but we just never tried them before. Right. Mm. Um, and I think that that can really play out on the larger scale when it comes to finance, global finance and things like that, you know, like a comfort level, Right now, for example, is, you know, people have 401ks and there's the stock market and there's the Federal Reserve and that's how things are done. And I, I feel like Uranus and Taurus could be, um, you know, the disrupting the what has been comfortable aspect and opening up what can be comfortable. Mm, yes, that's a good, that's a really good point. Uh, because as we're shifting these, you know, these, these energies, and especially as we're, we'll, we'll get into Mars and Uranus meeting for, for the fifth and final time in Aries <laughs> in a little bit here. Um, but yeah, I think that there are a lot of things that are introducing us to that. Uh, I, I think I, I quoted several months ago, the idea of a new normal, which really fits into what you're saying, like the, this new mm -hmm. level of comfort. And so we just have to transition and then stabilize what that looks like. Um, but Christopher, I want to hear your thoughts on just this, you know, year alone. What, how, what have you thought about like the, the eclipse season we went through and all the crazy January transits? And uh, have you, did you experience anything in particular or thoughts on that? I, I feel like this this upcoming, you know, this this Mars um Uranus conjunction here that this is you know stimulating that lunar eclipse. Um it's you know, Uranus was squaring the eclipse mm. and Mars is gonna be hitting a, you know, the square point to where this eclipse was right after it uh enters Taurus. Um 
And so it's going to, you know, join Uranus and then enter Taurus and trigger this, this uh, lunar eclipse we just had. And I feel like, to me, it's a delayed reaction with the lunar eclipse. And so it's something, the stage has already been set and it's about to kind of splash into reality here um, over the next week or two, whatever that is. Yeah, whatever that may be. And that's, <laughs> that is the element of surprise, really, <laughs> um, that comes along with this type of stuff. And that makes a lot of sense because uh, I remember when I was doing, I was doing a podcast with Shauna McGrath last year, and she had mentioned during eclipse season how one of her um, teachers that she had, can't remember the name, but she was saying that when, that basically Mars can help activate it really helps activate the eclipses. And so that really falls in line with what you're saying. Now it's like that trigger point that has, mm-hmm. that's activating it all. Um, and so Uranus meeting Mars. <laughs> it's interesting. I went back in time because I was, I was like, because in my mind, I just think of explosion, right? You know, yep. I don't want to care. You know, you don't want to <laughs> scare anybody, but when you put Mars, which is a very volatile force, uh, that's very hot and dry and explosive on its own uh, with Uranus, which is this, you know, sudden storm type of energy and the unexpected coming up. Like there's some type of explosion or some type of like catalytic um, uh, disruption. Uh, And that doesn't have to be a bad thing. I mean, it could be a good thing in people's lives as well, but I thought I would go back and take a look real quick at just like personal experience before like my mind went down the rabbit hole of like possibility. You know, so I do want to share that uh, just in case anybody has like one of those crazy memories or you keep insane journals or whatever, these are the previous passes of Mars and Uranus um, meeting in conjunction in Aries. So the first one happened April 3rd in 2011 at one degrees. Then it was March 22nd in 2013 at eight degrees. Then March 11th at 20, in 2015 at 15 degrees. Uh, and then the last pass was actually Mars uh, and Uranus meeting on February 26th, 2017 at 22 degrees. And I want to share a story with you real quick, Christopher, about what, ha- what happened last time Mars uh, conjunct Uranus for me. I want to see what you think. Um, so I surprised, I, out of the blue, I drove to uh, Phoenix for a couple days by myself to go visit my boyfriend that was out on a, a job, which was, you know, out of character, right? <laughs> um, and then I went to visit, when the whole purpose of that trip was actually to go visit my aunt who I hadn't seen in 18 years, uh, which was another unusual a- happening. And she was just happening to gift me this crazy guitar that my grandma owned, which is a whole other story. And then the following day, I uh, drove back from Phoenix and there were all these sudden storms cropping up. And so Uranus is very storm energy um, and can like really shake things up. And it was actually really quite dangerous to drive in. And I had to go like 45 miles an hour and the wind was just blowing the car everywhere. (laughs) Uh, And that was just crazy. But the last little piece, and I found this interesting, is I I had a cat. So I'm a Scorpio rising. So my sixth house uh, is ruled by Mars, which is sixth house holds the domain of pets and stuff. And so out of the blue, at the time that Mars conjunct Uranus, I decided I wanted a new cat. And like, I just, it was just immediate. And like within a week's time, I had a brand new, I had a cat, like something overtook me and it all happened super fast. And so I just wanted to share like some of my own experiences within the energy, but um 
I mean, do you recall that time? <laughs> I'm sure you don't have like a running log on uh, it, but <laughs> I, I do have a mental running log. It's kind of funny. Oh, you but, do. Um, I do. So like, I can always if you give me a date. I can I can picture exactly what was going on, where I was. Um, where were you? And, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think I'm trying to think of that last one you said that was February 26, 2017. 2017. Yeah. Late February, 2017. So late February, 2017. So I was, um, it was right before I got the job I have right now. Um, mm-hmm. and things were very unstable in my life at that point. And I had, you know, I didn't know this was coming. Like I was about a week or two away from finding what I'm doing now, which in itself is very, uh, jolting and unstable and, yeah. <laughs> and everything. Uh, oh, I know you're like all over the place now with exactly. your exactly. I mean, job. I, yeah. I was in uh, Indiana for that uh, polar vortex, which was fun. <gasps> oh, um, you have to tell me about that. I mean, it's they <laughs> over blew it and everything else. I mean, it was cold, so I'll give them that. It was definitely cold, but it was. It's also winter, you know, late January in Indiana, so it wasn't uh, that unusual. Um, you know, records break all the time, but uh, you know, it was, it was cold, but then three days later it was 63 degrees and sunny. So, mm. um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but what I do have coming up for this current Mars Uranus is interesting because, um, I'm Virgo rising. So this, this happens in my eighth house um, mm-hmm. and Mars rules my eighth house as well. Um, and I have, I had a, a, uh, a loan that I took out, small business loan, going back to here you go, Uranus and Aries in 2011. I took out a small business loan. Oh, the first time around. <laughs> and then in 2013, the second one was when I had to start, um, I, is when I, when I had to stop paying um, some of my debts because I didn't have the money anymore. Mm. So I kind of defaulted on that loan, the second one. <laughs> and then, then the third one, we say it was 2015. Uh-huh. Uh, I, again, I was in a, in a job transition and I made, uh, you know, I went from like not making much to making a lot more money, um, at that point. And then similar was in the 2017 one was a job change and making a lot more money and, and whatnot. Um, but this one coming up right now, I literally just got off the phone with the treasury who took on that small business loan when I defaulted and I made my last payment oh. to it. And yet it's still my, for some reason, my account's still open and they want me to call back uh, on Monday or Tuesday, which is exactly when Mars and Uranus are conjunct and verify that it's closed so I can do my taxes and actually keep my federal refund this year. <laughs> oh my God. Look at that trail. Yeah. That's crazy. And I love that this was the last payment because, you know, Uranus does have that factor of freedom and liberation from something. And this is also, you know, 29 degrees Aries. Exactly. So we're finished. We're completely finished with this chapter, um, which I am excited about. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's such a cool story, Chris. I like that. Uh, that that's great. And, you know, it's just a little, these are and that's the thing. It's funny that within that path that you just gave of like, to go back to the idea of cardinal signs and kind of reversals and like the pivoting of energy, like you took out the loan and then the next time around, you know, you realized you weren't in a place to be able to honor it at that particular yeah. time. And then each time around, you just kept getting closer to being able to, you know, take care of that. And, exactly. uh, how funny. That's, that's interesting. Well, I'm glad you got it over with. It's out of your life. Yes. For good. <laughs> well, soon here. 
<laughs> oh my God. So uh, how did the loan work out in the long run? Like, I'm just wondering if it was, if you did it all over again. <laughs> well, this, this goes back to what we talked about last time, um, how the idea was all there, but there was just no place to, to, to uh, foundation it. Um, so things kind of didn't work out the way I wanted them to. And so um, I used the money, but it was more, it didn't really um, get my business going. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And that, that's what ended up happening. Um, because Uranus was fresh in Aries. And we had to wait till it gets to Taurus before we can do anything about it, right? That's, that's where that, we're at now. Mm, so. That's a really good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so, yeah, so you weren't able to, um, you know, solidify it into the foundation you would have liked uh, if we were thinking about Taurus here. Rather, yeah. it just kind of puffed up into, like, into the smoke of Aries <laughs> and into the fire. Um, with it's just, the fire of good intentions, I suppose. <laughs> exactly. It's, um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Well, you know, and so I started looking back at some of these dates, because uh, I like to look at history, you know, to see what's going on in the world. And out of all those dates in a row, like there was, a, you know, a couple things, but there was one year in particular that was just off the hook of like so many things happening around that particular time period. And that was March 22nd, 2013, um, is, is the one that I noticed was so crazy. Um, but we have to keep in mind that in 2013 and both 2015, Uranus was in that square to Pluto. Yep. So there was an extra, you know, dimension going on of intensity <laughs> uh, taking place. But it was so interesting as I was looking at the historic events for March, around March 22nd, you know, give or take four days on either end. Um, there were just so many crashes and explosions. Now, keep in mind, this is like at a different time, you know, we don't have the same energy, no, no scaring here, but it's just, it's crazy to think like, like, uh, so basically 27 people killed and injured in a bus crash in Maharashtra, India. And then the next or same day, you know, people are killed by mudslides in Brazil. Uh, and then, the, you know, a couple of days later, there's like all these car bombings and a boat sinks and a uh, hundred people are killed and injured by a tornado. And like, I'm, and I'm only like a third of the way down the list. In this small period of time, there were tornadoes, suicide bombers, uh, car bombings, uh, you know, all that. Even NASA, NASA's Mars rover Curiosity discovers further evidence of water bearing minerals. This is a discovery. That's an interesting, on Mars nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I was like, what was going on, on around that time to really like just trigger so many different things? Um, and that was at the time where actually Jupiter was in Gemini and, and making a square uh, to both Mercury, uh, which was conjunct Neptune and Chiron at the same time of this particular Mars Uranus passing. So it's like not everyone is created equal, I guess, is what I'm saying. It's like yeah. sometimes there's going to be more juice to it. But I just thought that was crazy. Like, I mean, we have probably about 16 incidences here in that, you know, eight day time frame. And was, uh, I'm not sure that I, when, you, when you mentioned the 2011 conjunction, um, the first thing I thought of was the Arab Spring 
back at oh. that time. Was that going on in the spring? I guess it would have been, right? As I they mean, April the 3rd. That's, that's April pretty April of 2011, close. probably, right? And that's, that's kind of the energy I feel about the current one. Um, you know, 29 degrees Aries, it's like uh, it's sort of the yellow vest kind of protest, the like, you know, in protest for independence and um, breaking free from regimes. That's mm. a thing going on in Venezuela um, right now. So that could be a push point there. Something could go down, um, you know, next week or something like that. that. Those are just possibilities given the history of this relationship the last several years. Um, it seems like that's, that's kind of a theme. Yeah. And, and to pull back to what you were saying, kind of in line with your loan, the idea of this being at the 29th degree, like there is, you know, this is a critical point to where things can wrap up around these areas or at least wrap up in a way that pushes it towards stabilization for good or bad. You know, it just depends on what we're looking at here, um, especially in those areas. But yeah, no, that's interesting. The, the Arab spring, it looks like the protests started, they really got going in like January of 2011. Um, but I mean, essentially we're still looking at, we're essentially what we're looking at is actually Uranus move, you know, moving yeah. into Aries at that point <laughs> and, and things getting kicked up in, in a big way. And so, yeah. So I don't know what to expect here for us. It's very interesting with our government shutdown or is it, well, it's not shut down now, but there was the uh, idea that it's only open for a short amount of time. So I'm wondering if we are going to see another, you know, kind of, especially since Mars is going to conjunct Uranus at the time of first quarter in Taurus, <laughs> you know, we are pushing forward. There's, there are events taking place. Um, so I'm wondering if maybe we'll see something in those realms, like that will be back on or something. Yeah. And it could be, you know, the end to the destabilization basically, you know, so you're finding stability essentially. We got, we got a little time in between when, you know, this Mars conjunction happens and when Uranus actually goes back to Taurus, so I guess like a two or three weeks. I think, Oh, what is it? Is it March 6th? Uranus enters, enters Taurus, I believe. Oh, it is it actually March 1st. We get to start March with a, with a bang or a stabilizing bang. <laughs> um, yeah, let's, well, let's see. Why, why is it saying March? Huh. Sorry, I'm looking at my calendar. And it says zero degrees Taurus on March 1st. Well, on, I think that might be rounding up. You is know, it? Like, you know, they kind of round up to the nearest degree. And it's pretty close to that point. I think within a couple of days. Um, I thought I saw it was the sixth somewhere recently. Yeah, that's weird. Maybe there's like a little glitch in my in my uh, my thing of a bobber here. Um, <laughs> my thing of a bobber is glitching. Uh, yeah, March sixth. You're absolutely right. That's that's strange. It has like it, it's um, you know how like uh, if you look at like kind of calendar ephemerises, mm-hmm. you know those little teeny yeah. journal books. How it, it'll have like all the planets next to each other, and it says zero degrees for Uranus. So they need to update uh, Jim Maynard's Pocket Astrologer 2019. You need to update yeah. your your business. <laughs> it's like I got I got to hear it is March sixth at like twelve twenty five a.m. Pacific. Yes, that's that's when it enters. That's a Wednesday. Um, so early Wednesday and a new moon too. Uh, that's yeah, our yeah, new moon right there within hours of it, basically crazy. Yeah. 
We'll be back. Yeah. So, I mean, if anybody wants to hear our, uh, <laughs> our, our chat on it prior, that I believe that's episode five of the podcast where we talked about all types of things. We got into, um, uh, I know I was talking about Bitcoin and things like that. And I think we were talking about, uh, just sustainability food, food sources, maybe. Do you remember some of the things yeah, we touched yeah. on? We're, yeah, we're just touching on. Um, like I said, the the Bitcoin aspect was the idea of innovations in money, which is you know Uranus and Taurus basically. Um, but also, yeah, the food situation. Uh, Uranus will be in Taurus through 2026, right? Mm. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we got this period of time, um, and you know there there could be surprises on the horizon when it comes to food production, you know, um, like that, that could very well happen, I think here. And, you know, there's, there's some, some reason to believe that it could be, um, a climate related thing, but not the kind of, kind of climate change we've been, uh, you know, listening to or hear, hearing about. Well, and what's just interesting, because one of the things that Christopher didn't share in his little quick bio he gave us earlier on in the program is that you went to school to be a meteorologist, right? Yeah. 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 And I've, I have a master's in atmospheric science too. And, um, you know, gone down that path. Um, and I've come to my own awarenesses and realizations about, um, you know, the whole concept of climate change, um, as it's been given to us through the media and kind of know what they're not saying and what, you know, how they're manipulating certain things for other ends, but that's a different topic <laughs> altogether. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, um, <laughs> but like one one of the things that um, you know what we're supposed to believe are legitimate sciences that are telling us everything um, is the solar activity. Um, like I've I've been watching solar activity since like 2012, 2013. Um, that was the last peak when it comes to like sunspots and things like that. Mm. And so it was very common to have like flares and things like that. In the last year and a half or so, I think there's been like one or two significant flares it's been pretty much a dead sun um which is somewhat normal to have it re- you know reduce the amount of sunspots during the minimum um but there's something about this current phase we're heading into um between the early to mid 2020s so mm-hmm. this timing lines up with uranus and taurus is why i'm bringing it up um but there is a possibility of <laughs> that we're heading into what's called a grand solar minimum which is like just basically the bottom of the barrel of sunspots and sunspots are important um, when it comes to the, to the magnetic relationship with the sun and the earth, uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to protecting the earth from cosmic rays. Um, so when the sun is down, it doesn't really affect like temperature directly that much, but um, it affects cloud cover on the earth's surface because clouds will develop more readily um, with the condensation nuclei from those cosmic rays. It also affects volcanism, earthquakes because these cosmic rays are moving about the speed of light um and they're you know they're invisible but they do have effects um on the earth when the earth isn't protected and if you're not familiar the earth's magnetic uh uh poles are in the process of shifting Mm. okay and so the combination of our poles shifting while the sun's magnetism is reducing causes or not uh, magnetism is, is creating reduction in the sunspots there it could be an interesting recipe let's put it that way okay <laughs> and, and so mm-hmm. surprises of course they'll blame it on you know man-made emissions they say oh look at this 
this uh, the growing seasons are going out of whack because of global warming and this and that, when it's obviously not true. Um, it's kind of like they were trying to blame the polar vortex on global warming, and somehow that has to do with um, carbon dioxide and whatnot. When and I was responding to people on Facebook that were, you know, posting things like this, and I'm, you know, correcting them like, actually, no, that that's a you know, polar vortex number one is is fairly normal. It's not that um, out of whack, but um, if it happens in more frequency, it can disrupt things. You can get like if all that matters for food production essentially is a long enough growing season, and a growing season is basically that period in between freezes, right? Mm, Frost. Mm-hmm. So if you're getting, even if the rest of the year is somewhat normal or average, if you're just getting a frost at too late a time or too early a time or a combination, you kill your growing season. Yeah. And that's something, especially in Europe, Canada, Russia, um, somewhat in the northern U.S., Mm. that could become a problem. Um, And so we might, the speculation, but the timing lines up where we could have some surprise they'd be surprises because this stuff is not in the mainstream media um anything that has to do with climate is in the weather is all about al gore and you know what he <laughs> what he's come to mm-hmm. do. it's very political in other words and it's all our faults and there's solutions to to fix it um but the reality is uh you know when you really dig into it humans have a very small impact um and and you know what the sun is doing the relationship between the sun and the earth is by far more important um, for things that we, that matter to us, like our growing seasons and things like that. And so when it comes to food, um, this, this, this could be a problem. Let's put it that way. Well, that's interesting if we're talking about Uranus and Taurus yeah. <laughs> um, and bringing more of that our way. And, you know, immediately when I saw the whole polar vortex thing, I thought of you. I was like, I wonder what Christopher thinks because, <laughs> you know, I know that you have um, some different takes on uh, and knowledgeable ones at that, you know, based on what, you know, as opposed to what we read in, in the papers or what have you. What pa- I don't even think papers even exist. Anymore. Papers. <laughs> Those papers. Those old papers. Uh, but actually, I was really surprised uh, when I went to look up, you know, what is this polar vortex? Because I never really heard about it or understand. But, you know, it has happened before and not even that long ago. Yeah. Um, and so this is just something that happens and it's happening and it just happened now, basically. And so yeah. it's so you're saying that it's kind of part of those um, kind of the, the own like waxing and waning of energy of the, the sun and, and the poles and what's shifting there. That what I'm saying is that that could cause something like that, but you can't you can't necessarily say that this one that we had is from that. Yeah, like I said they're fairly normal. Um, they happened. It was the phrase polar vortex was was coined like in 2014, um, as mm. if it was a new thing. Um, and again, it was marketed as something because of climate change, because of man, because of CO2 emissions, and it has nothing to do with that. Back in the 70s, when all the leading scientists assumed and believed that we were heading to the next ice stage and you can find documentaries from the 70s. Yeah, I remember that. Concluding I mean, it, basically concluding it, you know, we're heading to the next ice age, here's what we can do about it. You know, but it wasn't blaming man, it was just blaming the fact that, you know, it is what it is, we're just measuring this. Um, but uh, back then they called it the circumpolar vortex, which is actually a better description of it because it's just the normal um, movement of the air between the poles and the, and the equator. Uh, you know, it stays further, you know, it undulates usually for like pretty far north. Um, but when you get um, some instability and you can get, you get war- basically warm air 
we'll just kind of trade places with the cold air. The warmer it goes up, cold air comes down somewhere. Yeah. And that's what happened. You know, that's that's exactly what happened there. Um, it'll happen again. And it has nothing to do with, you know, anybody emitting carbon dioxide or anything like that. Um, but a situation that I'm talking about with the sun-earth relationship could theoretically create that more often because of instability in the magnetosphere, which is way high up there. Um, it causes the jet stream to do a little, you know, go a little bit wacky. And that's exactly what transfers heat to the poles or cold yeah. from the poles down is that instability. Um, and generally speaking, in the wintertime, there is more instability because there's more contrast between um, the temperature at the poles and the temperature at the equator. Equator, yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. Whereas like in, so like in September, for example, in the northern hemisphere, that tends to be a pretty calm time of year. Um, like 9-11, when that happened, that day, it was super calm, super nice, beautiful weather, blue skies, almost no wind, right? That's a very normal weather day that time of year. Um, and the reason is because of that stability. Um, Canada is pretty warm in September. It's been warming up all summer, right? And there, and there just isn't a huge difference between the temperatures at the poles and the temperature at the equator in the northern hemisphere that time of year. So you end up with relatively stable weather conditions mm -hmm. and that's exactly what warming the poles would do okay which is which is you know the opposite of what we're told if you warm the poles you're going to get situations more like that less weather more stability that kind of thing when it, there's larger contrast that's when you get those unstable movements of air up you know northward or southward um which is just a response the earth's climate is responding to the to the contrast and it's balancing all storms are just um processes of balance that's it oh you know what i mean that's all it is yeah <laughs> you have you have this air there that air there they're different and then a storm happens because it has to equalize it um that's just the, the earth equalizing itself so when there's large contrast large equalizations will happen in other words large storms will happen um and so that is just theoretically speaking is is much more likely to happen um, in the winter than the summer, which is true, and much more likely to happen if the poles are super cold relative to the equator, not the other way around. Yeah. You see? Yeah, no, that's interesting, Christopher, because, and that's fascinating. Thank you for sharing that information because, well, I mean, when you think of Uranus and we think about sudden storms or uh, Uranus kind of being that uh, element of extreme, that's essentially what you're saying is that we're, we're getting these type storm-like conditions because of the extreme, you know, heat versus the cold and how in order to balance that out, you know, that's things get shifted around. It was like kind of like amoeba sitting at the top of the, the pole as I was looking, looking at the, mm -hmm. the radar, how it was just kind of like uh, kind of amoebaing out in certain areas. Of, yeah, that's actually a pretty good description. It kind of does <laughs> look, like, look at it from above, like look at the, you know, the movement of air from from with the with the North Pole kind of at the center, it looks very amoeba-like going around the pole, basically. You know, going around that center of the circle, and you know when in a lot of times it just stays in that somewhat stable zone. But when it pulls, you know, when something disrupts, it will you know find balance. And sometimes finding balance means sending cold air down and warm air up. You know. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly what happens. Oh, and interesting. We just we just experience the consequences of that as mm -hmm. a storm. True. You know. That's yeah. it. <laughs> and it was interesting. Uh, it was interesting astrological uh, 
you know, considerations going on that particular day when it really hit, uh, <laughs> which got me into uh, now I'm, I want to go further, you know, polishing some skills on astrological weather because I find that mm-hmm. very interesting. Because uh, it, it took off basically the night that um, Mercury and the sun conjuncted in, you know, did the Kazemi conjunction in Aquarius uh, with all those planets in Aquarius, you know, referencing back to Saturn and Capricorn. So we have all these super cold conditions and then Mars was doing his own thing and there's a lot of moving parts. Um, but I just found that interesting. And now you're added information on top of that also is sparking my imagination. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Very cool. Um, well, not cool for very cold, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Some people. Oh, I just felt so bad. Like I don't even want to look at like how that affects like wildlife and things along those lines. There's there's like a uh, article I saw. I was like, what happens to the birds? And I was like, I don't want to know. Oh, what happens to the birds um, when these extremes <laughs> happen? But uh, what are you gonna do? So, well, we're probably not gonna have that happen again. That was a special, at least not right now. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, but so now as far as let's talk about Mars moving into Taurus real quick, just like what that might feel like. Cause we already talked about Taurus kind of stables out, you know, fixates that energy, but Mars is not, it's weird. It's like a double-edged sword. Cause you would think that Mars action energy and like where we're motivated would be nice and like a stabilized practical, you know, earth related type of zone but Mars is like fiery and, and, and in its detriment in Taurus. Uh, and I mean, what do you, so what do you think about Mars and Taurus in general? Kind of the pluses and minuses of that position. Yeah. I mean, it definitely feels like the brakes are on a little bit, um, you know, and, uh, but you know, the good side of that is get gathering that scattering and helping it focus a little bit. Um, but you know, it's, it's hard to utilize that Mars energy in Taurus. It's just hard to use it. It's like, like I said, it's like driving with the brakes on a little bit. Um, but at, the, at this other, you know, on the other side of it, you know, Venus is ruler of Taurus, and when Mars comes together with Venus, it's creation, and um, this is this can be a very creative um, time period as well. Um, but obviously, the creations are slow. It's not instant creation. Mm. It's got to be um, in it um, in each step of the process. And take it one step at a time. That's kind of the energy I feel. Is it one step at a time, but get it finished, um, get it finished well. Um, yeah. At least a little more frustration, I think. That's all. That that can make sense because just things are just moving a little slower than we'd like. And so that's where, you know, get Mars get a little hot under the collar, <laughs> start yeah. cracking that earth. And well, and especially I like what you're saying, you know, melding that with Venus's territory, uh, with Venus ruling Taurus um, and having that kind of creation, you know, the two, once again, we're kind of these two polar opposites coming together in a balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but right now Venus is in Capricorn, which adds another earth, um, you know, type of energy. But of course, Venus doesn't mind, you know, the feminine signs because she already, she's feminine herself. So, but that adds a more, even more, uh, you know, juice and dynamic to uh, just practical considerations and maybe manifesting things here, you know, on the earth, getting projects started and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and fixated in that energy. Um, and so, but, you know, we guys, 
Taurus can be a stubborn sign too. So we just got to watch out for, you know, holding ground too much when maybe we need to move. Uh, Cause that could be the flip side. You're frustrated about not moving too quickly. And then sometimes you're just stubborn to actually move at all. Uh, so there's maybe that, you know. And I think another positive uh, way to look at it is it kind of forces us to finish what we started before mm-hmm. moving on to the next. Um, so it's a great energy for taking things to the end. Yes. Yes. Cause fixed signs, they'll focus on it. It's like a, you know, that deer in headlights or <laughs> just keep going, just go towards that, do what you need to do. And so perhaps that's what we're doing. And I think, I really think a lot of it, especially as Mars meets um, Uranus, you know, the day before essentially, or, you know, yeah. less than a day before it moves into Taurus. So I feel like so much of what has been cultivated into our own, you know, personal agenda, because Mars and Aries, Uranus and Aries, this is hitting a personal zone. You know, what's the self focused on and what's the self directed towards. And so I think that there is going to be that kind of uprise of, of energy and realization as far as where we're headed or motivated and putting our energy towards. And then through that realization point, um, especially at first quarter, when we get to get things moving, um, then we get to stabilize that for, you know, X amount of time. So maybe that's a positive way of looking at, you know, kind of that burst of Martian energy that, that then gets stabilized. Um, yeah. Through March 30th, um, ours will be in Taurus. So, um, now, okay, now we talk, (laughs) next subject. Uh, Christopher had said that he has some interesting things to say about Jupiter and Neptune in their square. And so I want to, I want to hear that while I have you on the horn here. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think this is like, I, I feel like I've been calling 2019 a year of disclosure. Um, mm. but also zealotry, right? And, um, you know, when, when something has to, when an idea has to be expressed in a, in a zealotous way, typically it doesn't stand on its own as true, right? If you got to force it, then it's probably something that isn't completely true about it. And this, this goes for religion. This goes for um, any kind of ism, right? Yeah. <laughs> ism is um, trying to force it on others um, to adopt it or to see things uh, as you want, to, want them to see it. Um, and so I think that's, that's really just Jupiter and Sagittarius on its own. You throw in Neptune in its own, you know, its own, at least modern rule of sign, Jupiter is in its sign and Jupiter is also the co-ruler of Pisces. So you have this, this kind of frap of expanded, um, possibly embellished, information right yeah uh, there's a strong strong um tendency toward embellishment and towards again being you know zealotous towards any kind of topic um and enforcing um reactions or responses based on beliefs not on proof okay mm-hmm. and so just going back to what we just talked about with with the weather and, and, and climate change and whatnot um, I feel like, especially if you, if you saw, I, I posted a blog about it. Um, there's plans in this year of 2019 to spray the stratosphere. And this is not the same thing as chemtrails. This is different, right? To spray the stratosphere, to block the sun as a way to cool the earth because of global warming. Um, 
that doesn't even make sense because spray it with what <laughs> uh, like sulfur compounds. It's the same exact process that happens with volcanoes. Um, back in 1991, Mount Pinatubo erupted. That was in the South Pacific. But by 1992, that sulfur from that volcano, because it went up so high, about 50, 60,000 feet, um, it started to circumnavigate the globe essentially. And it caked the globe in a, um, you know, unnoticeable um, as far as visib visibility goes, but noticeable as far as, um, you know, radiatively speaking, it was blocking some of the sun. 1992 is actually a very, uh, very anomalously cold year in a time when, you know, temperatures have been warming generally since about 1980 through about 2000 when it started to flatten out again. But for that 20 year period, it was a pretty steady rise. 1992 was, it was like, it just fell out of it. And so the idea for this comes from that, that knowledge that if you get enough sulfur, which is a ridiculous amount and like the cost and it's, that's another topic, but uh, yeah. um, <laughs> have to, and another thing is they would have to keep doing it. You see what I mean? Cause it dissipates, yeah. it falls out by 93, everything was back to normal, you know? So it lasted several months to a year ish. That was the fallout from a volcano. And if we did it, if we sprayed, it wouldn't have lasting effects unless we kept spraying. Right. So it's like um, it's just a weird solution. And it, it suggests nefarious intentions because it itself, scientifically speaking, isn't going to do much, especially because it, it, the earth isn't warming right now. It's kind of stable for the last 15 to 20 years. Um, and so but that would definitely cool the earth. And so why would we force climate change? Like, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, if the problem is climate change, why is your solution to change the climate? Because that solution, if it's successful, would change the climate. And who says that the direction of change toward less photosynthesis, essentially, because we're blocking the sun now, yeah. is going to be good for the climate, you know? Um, and, and, and it's funny because from a carbon perspective, less photosynthesis is going to mean more carbon in the atmosphere because it's going to be less taken up by the by the plants oh yeah so <laughs> it would lead to more carbon in the atmosphere and if carbon is the problem which in my opinion it isn't but that you know that it, it just kind of and i feel like going back to jupiter and neptune so i think a lot of zealotous pushing of agendas like this that rely on us to believe something so we can only support something like that if we truly believe in the lie in the first place that we have to do it right yeah. and i feel like this could not only ex be exposed but also break down in a year like this um ah. and so it's going to be hard to know what the truth is this year hard to know um because it's both sides are going to sound like they could be true in all situations um you, you see them so like this is this is one topic that i'm i'm passionate about because it's where my background is from and whatnot and i write about this stuff all the time um and I feel like this will play out there, but it's going to play out in other ways too. Um, like I just, I just, I, I feel like there's going to be, you know, um, a, a big push. Right. Another, another thing that's happening right now is with like diet. Okay. Mm. There's a big push for veganism. Like uh, for example, Canada just like switched their whole um, food pyramid. Like they like published like the new official food pyramid that's supposedly like the healthy form, and it's it's much more toward vegan, et cetera. Um, mm -hmm. people are, you know, celebrating this and that, but then there's also this other side. Like if you're, if you're familiar with like Jordan Peterson and he's a professor in Canada. Um, but anyway, um, he, him along with, he's just one of the, the more known ones doing it, but there's also this other 
diet coming in that's actually extremely successful in reducing inflammation, et cetera. And it's the carnivore diet. It's like just eating straight up meat and that's it. Um, both are, you know, in my opinion, both veganism and carnivore is extreme because they're not balanced. Nutritionally, you have to, you know, supplement yourself for what you're missing, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of turning yourself into a bionic being and not a natural being. Um, but the idea is like these are kind of butting heads. And so it's another topic, another um, thing where the, the vegans have their opinions and their belief system and then like the carnivores have theirs. And the idea of, um, you know, which one is right or which That's one is right, right for me. Yeah. And then so it's very hard to figure out what the truth is this year. Um, so like I think with that, with, with climate change, I think we're going to see bigger pushes in the media um, where it's really saying we've got to do something here, got to do something. But there's also going to be like what I talked about before, um, if especially if you start seeing evidence of it, the low, you know, the low sunspot activity and that, that the sun is quieting down and there could be effects on Earth because of that. Um, and you can see two camps fighting over why what we're experiencing is happening. One saying, oh, it's man-made climate change. It's what we said was going to happen. And here it is. And the other saying, no, this is the natural response to that relationship between the sun and the earth and the magnetics uh, there. And they could both sound very true. And how do we know which is right, right? And so or maybe it's, it's a combination of both, because that's the thing, you know? Really likely is this is double-bodied exactly. signs. Like, we're living exactly. in transition um, to sides. And so I think there's going to be a lot of confusion this year about what is true, um, what to do about that, because of all the contradiction and all mm. the um, sort of, you know, ability to... Uh, and so the media this year is also, you know, going to have the opportunity to be, um, you know, the, the instrument through which the lies come through, but it can also, I think it's going to be surprising that the opposite starts to happen. Like, for example, um, just the other day, I think it was like CNN reported on some arms dealing that happened between the U S and I forget who it was, but you know, this is something that has been going on for decades. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but CNN likes to cover, um, you know, cover our butts in a certain way and make the U.S. always look like the good guys. And here they were um, talking about something that you usually only see in alternative media. And it's like, here's the mainstream media doing it. So it's, like I said, it's like, it goes both ways. Like there's an opportunity for the media to become more authentic while it's simultaneously getting more ridiculous and um, <laughs> yeah. fake news. This is like, you know, we can also call this the fake news year, but yeah. the opportunity to find the real news year as well. So it's, it's just really this dichotomy that's, that's going to happen this year. I feel like it's, it's already starting. I mean, we're just, we're already seeing this. Um, the confusion is the biggest, oh, yeah. biggest result because um, we will find ourselves appealing to certain authorities. Well, this person says this and they're, you know, instead of investigating it for ourselves and if the data isn't available to investigate, then you kind of, you kind of left with the authorities, you know, yeah, what you got um, to work with. <laughs> like, you know? like, so like, for example, like uh, the 10 year challenge that was going on here. Um, people were doing the 10 year challenge recently on Facebook and posting before and after photos. Oh, and yes, yes. Into, I took place. <laughs> turned into a whole bunch of before and afters. Um, then the whole, like I was, I saw one that was like, uh, you know, a really robust polar bear on some ice. And then of course it said 2009 on it. And then next to it was a picture of a really thin polar bear with a lot of water in the background. So in other words, broken ice. And it said 2019 on there. And there's no, there's absolutely no way to verify that those photos were taken when they were, you know, when they were told they were taken or 
um, that they're not taken out of context. Like you got a sick polar bear in the summertime when the ice does melt, or you got a healthy polar bear in the wintertime that could have been taken within a few months of each other, you know? Yeah. Um, normal fluctuation. And so like I, I went to the um, snow and ice uh, data center in Boulder, Colorado on their website because they just have like the, the, you know, cut and dry information about sea ice extent and this and that. And so I, I, I went to, uh, you know, March 2008, which is the, the extent of the ice in 2008. Mm-hmm. And in March of 2018, the extent of the ice in 2018. And the pictures look virtually identical. Mm. Okay? So in other words, no change. So I posted that. 10 year challenge. <laughs> and, and it, it totally contradicts a lot of that, the memes that are out there and, you know, memes themselves, we're talking about Jupiter in, in Neptune square, um, Neptune in Pisces on its own, I feel like is why memes are on the rise right now. Mm. Um, when Neptune was in Pisces previously was when photography was created. So the picture speak, you know, speaks a thousand words. Words. Yeah. <laughs> imagery. We're in this current Neptune in Pisces with social media since 2011. Um, it's really been the time of the meme, right? Where you can, you know, pictures worth a thousand words, then add like eight more words onto that. And now yeah. it's worth to help. eight words. I know, to help direct it in the, the way yeah. you want so it you to can, be. You can take the same picture and write different words on it and it can have completely different effects. I mean, yeah. Right? And like, mm-hmm. that's exactly what we're at right now. But like the photo I shared was not that. It was literally a picture of, the sea ice extent of the North Pole in 2008 and a picture of it in 2018 from the official source. Um, and it was very little change. I didn't say anything. I just said 10 year challenge. I didn't like say, see, this proves things are that we're being lied to. I just posted it, you know? Um, I didn't try to make it, you know, sound like anything other than what it was. It's just, that's the, 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 the positive side of a photo is it is what it is. The negative side of the photo is that you can make it into anything you want it to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yes, you know, that, and that's a, that's a very dangerous thing. But uh, to, to speak on a lot of what you've said here, because when I think of Jupiter and Neptune together, especially in mutable signs, uh, and especially these planets alone, like, are just known as gas giants. Like, this is, there's a lot of hot air in, in the atmosphere mm-hmm. right now. And there's a lot of just hot air ro- rolling about. <laughs> and, um, you know, we saw it right away. The second Jupiter made it square to Neptune, the first go around was the around the time that the, the government shut down. And, you know, everything was, you know, trumped up, for lack of a better <laughs> word on that, of like where we're going. You know, it's just like a little bunch of hot air uh, just flapping about um and then you know we have i mean what do you think about the saturn sextile coming into how it plays into this you know can we come back down to reality through this this little yeah and i think i think that's like i think that jupiter neptune is gonna fling more lies out there um but with saturn and neptune it's going to help us get to reality like what is the reality here because it's going to um for you know the 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 extra lies and confusion that's out there that's when that's when you're inspired to figure out the truth right yeah and that's where you're inspired to get organized and get it together because it feels so scattered and unorganized and untogether so um saturn sextile neptune i feel like it's just going to help help us to use more discernment um and to understand when we're being lied to the state kind of hold our ground Okay, mm. so it's going to be easier for us to hold our space and allow the hot air to move about us rather than breathe it in. Yeah, that's that's kind of the way I look at it. With you know Uranus going to Taurus, now you got, we got Saturn in Capricorn. 
Um, this is this is a great combination, in my opinion, as far as grounding a lot of mm. things into reality. Um, and when when you know Jupiter enters Capricorn here next year, it's going to really be time. It's going to be so earthy of a time. You know? <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, it, it, we'll we'll be bought, brought down to Earth no matter how that might look. You know, like <laughs> that can be yeah. a, you know, Capricorn can be sometimes a depressing energy, and so sometimes we might have to realize, you know, like because I, I that's the thing. Like I was watching the presidential address the other day, you know, which was very Jupiter Neptune in its own right. Um, but I'm like, where where's the issue of environment on any of the on any of the docket here? Not mentioned once. Um, and I mean I'm not even talking about like global warming uh yeah. you know, of theories around that, but the reality is is that, you know, uh the human race as, to some extent has become a plague on the earth, you know, as far as trash is concerned and uh, just everything that we're accumulating. And it's just really hard to sustain uh, this really solid population. And then the other animal animals are suffering because of it and their habitats, uh, you know, and it doesn't even have to be global warming. It just be based on our own trash and our, you know, chemical yeah. deposits that we put in the oceans and yeah. you know, all that. And so I want to like, to me, I'm like looking at this address and I'm like, this is a bunch of hot air. These are issues that don't matter. Like, yeah. Like he had child cancer in there and like, you know, you got to stand up for children having cancer. Like that's a horrible thing. But at the same time, this is not what's important uh, right now in this world. And that's a bunch of hot air to me. And, uh, you know, I, anyways, but that's just what I, I was thinking. And so, yeah, we're wading through this, you know, what's, what's important and why are we always the ones that are so important? You know, like the human race, like that's what I'm hoping with Uranus and Taurus is that we can kind of get off our own pedestal a little bit to realize that this planet is not all about us. It's like, you know, this is a symbiotic relationship going on. And for, you know, to really take part and enjoy it, we have to not uh, overtake it basically and, and destroy it. But yes, so maybe that's that's part of some of the reality that will be coming down to Saturn meets Pluto and all these planets are going to be in Capricorn. And it's like, what what do we need to do? What do we need to initiate to make some changes around here? You know, like going back again to the cardinal signs that we were talking about earlier, there needs to be some pivot points and there's some needs to be some reversals in activity of, you know, things that we're doing here um, in order to really thrive um, instead of just trying to survive. And that there's so many levels on that as well, but I'm just talking, you know, environmentally for the earth. So it's interesting stuff, Chris. <laughs> yes, as always. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, let's segue here before we get off uh, our little chat because uh, Christopher's a Pisces. Pisces born at a Virgo full moon, right? Virgo lunar eclipse, actually. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Even more <laughs> potent here. So I thought I'd pick your brain before, because uh, next week we have obviously Pisces season is arriving. So happy, happy early birthday to you. Um, and then we're going to have that full moon, super moon at zero degrees Virgo. And so, I mean, what can the Pisces tell us about Pisces season? Tell us about Pisces. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I always describe Pisces as. Um, like if you look at the night sky, and there's a lot of stars out there. Pisces is that space in between all the stars that that basically connects it all. So it's like the entire canvas. Um, it's kind of it's so it's like fills in the gap, mm. right? It just kind of seeps its way in. It's all of, it's all that 
um, is and not is yet, right? All the potential as well. And so that that's that's the energy of it. But the, you know, it's the negative side of that is always kind of kind of feeling like a spectator and not a participant in life. I I, I think I, I've often um, like had to remember that I'm here too. It's like, oh yeah, that's right. I exist too. Like, like I'm watching and seeing. <laughs> You're things. at the consciousness, just watching like, it all. Oh yeah, I've got to like, I've got to eat now. Oh yeah. Gotta, oh yeah, that's you know, when your Virgo moon's like, uh, yeah, yeah. hello, I'm hungry. Exactly. Oh, I've got to do. So it's easy to get lost um, mm. and forget that you have a body and <laughs> an identity, essentially. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Um, and it's well, and as far as like moving into Pisces season, like I think that's part of what we experience where there, it is that transitional zone um, in many ways where we're, mm-hmm. you know, we're moving between two different realms. We're transcending some type of energy and there is that all is one and you can feel everything, you know, around you. Um, I like that perspective though, the idea of kind of being the watcher, you know, the Pisces kind of being that watcher because it is just aware of everything that is around it on this really subtle type of, you know, receiving, you know, yin type of energy. Um, But within that, you can lose, you know, your own personal, you know, self in it. Do you have any planets in Aries to, to, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mercury. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering. I had a feeling you had Mercury in Aries. Um, that would make sense. So, I mean, what what do you think about this particular Pisces season? As like moving out of Aquarius and kind of just all that. Well, well you know. Um, I think like you, you mentioned the, uh, the the full moon at zero degrees Virgo to start the season, basically. Um, it's interesting to note because this is something I like to talk about all the time is Regulus. Yes, <laughs> Regulus I didn't even zero degrees Virgo. That. Oh so, so this is going to be right on Regulus. Um, yeah. And of course, you, we've talked about it before and you saw what my, t- my talk I gave at SDAS, you know, Trump being essentially um, that, you know, he, he is the Regulus, that, that shift from Regulus from, from Leo to Virgo, essentially, that like he represents the transition, his existence anyway, not him as a person or what he's doing. But his time here uh, of significance is heralding in this transition. So it's kind of like, I, I mentioned before, he's like soaking up all the old junk, kind of absorbing it all. Um, and it's like, he's kind of like the, uh, the sponge cleaning up the mess um, without even knowing it, you know, it's like all the old that has to come up, has to get dealt with all the triggering that's happening with people. And it's all a process of release, um, Mm. because we're we're transitioning into something new. Yeah. Like a spiritual cleansing almost like taking place. That's interesting. Oh God, I can't believe I totally forgot that Regulus is sitting right on this full moon. Mm-hmm. And you know why we say Trump is really caught up in that? Because he has a 29 degree um, Leo. Leo ascendant, uh, which is when he was born, that's where Regulus was. Regulus moved into Virgo. What was it? A couple of uh, It was like the fall of 2011. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's been a little that. while, but it's, you know, it takes a while to get, get moving. But yeah. every year that goes by, it's, you know, we're deeper into Regulus and Virgo. It's a long period of time. So um, just like it took a while for Regulus and Leo to amp up um, and do its thing, which was, you know, all the hierarchies of power and that we still have. Again, and this is this is what I mean by 
Um, we're at the period of time of transition from the way it was to the way it will be. Um, but it's always been, you know, lots of domination, lots of invasion, like, like what's happening in Venezuela right now is very regular in Leo, right? You know, it's like, oh, we're coming in and we're going to, we're going to acknowledge this guy as president, not this one. And like, who has the authority to even do that? You know? Yeah, I know, <laughs> but, right? Uh, like, <laughs> like, that's very regular to Leo, right? And that's what I mean. So like Trump has regular set 29 degrees Leo. So that's, he's, he's just being what he is. Yeah. Um, and, well, and it's interesting when he took office, his progressed son was at zero degrees Virgo. So uh-huh. he was right on the... <laughs> yeah, it shifted like while, like I think it was a few months before he got elected, it shifted, his progressed son shifted from Leo to Virgo. Yeah, like, it was like, like right around the time, yeah. In the summer of 2016. So again, that's that transition. So mm-hmm. he kind of transitioned it. So it's uh, it's it's interesting because he, he is acting out, again, that the last vestiges of Regulus in Leo. Um, and that's his job, essentially, on a higher level, is to act out those last pieces um, to herald in the next phase, essentially. Yeah, which is a more purified, I imagine, because if we think of Leo, and especially that, you know, like, well, 29 degrees, zero degrees, those are both kind of tested steps, but Leo's over the top. It's dramatic. It's going to, like, really push, you know, just fire up things up and push the energy where Virgo has a more purifying force um, and transitional force because it too is a mutable sign. And so I love that analogy used of, the, of him being like a sponge, um, really soaking up all, all that is and, you know, cleaning up this mess. And we wouldn't think of him cleaning it up. We think of yeah. him making it. He's but being used to clean it up. Exactly. Because otherwise we didn't know we had this mess to begin with unless the sponge came around. <laughs> yeah, everyone's blaming the sponge, but it's yeah. like, you know, it's not really the sponge's fault. It's like he's just reflecting. Like, another thing, like, what's great is the media is always, you know, picking on him. And they're exposing certain things that have always happened um, with presidents, what's always happened behind closed doors in, in all of the administrations. Um, but they're, you know, pointing the finger at Trump because it's good to hate Trump. It's popular to hate Trump. And so they're inadvertently also showing us what has always happened yeah. previously, right? And it's like, and that's exactly what I mean. Is like all he is is finishing what's been going on. He didn't start anything. He didn't do anything new. He's just he's just um, more vehemently expressing all that was more hidden previously, but it was always there. You know, mm. it's no change. It's like it, we have a, we have a better visual of it than we did before. That's all. Yeah. That's the only difference. Yeah. Is that we have a visual. And he's kind of the fall guy, the scapegoat, the one that we get to point our fingers at and say it's him. And it's like, no, no, it's exactly what created him. <laughs> yes. And then it, it enters Saturn conjunct Pluto. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> that's what be. And that's what 2020 is, is going to be a very interesting year when we have Saturn Pluto at the very beginning of 2020. And then Jupiter will be hovering around with Pluto for most of 2020 up until about October, November. Um, so it's going to be an interesting time, especially in the U.S., considering it's an election year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens there. Um, but, you know, with Uranus and Taurus, for that too, you know, again, it goes back to that, the, the potential financial um, reconstructions and obliteration of what was previously normal. And that could include the U.S. dollar. Um, always being, you know, number one in the, the standard in the world. Maybe it isn't at the end of Uranus and Taurus. You know, maybe it isn't anymore. That would be a very uh, um, uh, representative of the energy of Uranus and Taurus if that were true. Um, so in 2027, when 
when we have we're out of Taurus with Uranus, um, what does the global finances look like? Who knows? We'll have to wait and see, I guess. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. I know we had a talk. I don't know. I don't think you were able to make it, but we had a woman named Marie Schippel who spoke um, on, she just wrote a book on uh, basically China's uh, financial crisis that's supposed to go down in 2020. She did, she's a financial astrologer. And um, I mean, it, it, the material is pretty dry, but she, she was really laying it out how they're going to have a, a, a very tough um, couple years coming up here based on these conjunctions mm-hmm. taking place. And of course, you know, that's a huge trade center as well. And you see Trump putting, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, trade uh, blocks on these areas. And so it's interesting. Like it's, it could be the money, it could be the, the trade just in general, yeah. you know, how the financial system just works as a system and what that's going to look like as, you know, I think one of the things we talked about with Uranus and Taurus previously, um, we were talking about, uh, you know, automation and robotics and in the workforce and labor changing. And so all these things are going to compound into uh, new realities for us. <laughs> you know, we're talking about all this earth. These are new realities taking place uh, and these systems are going to have to shift. Um, and so we'll, we'll just see what happens there. But, uh, you know, I think you're, I think you're on to something as far as, that prediction. So we yeah, I, what you just said, uh, you reminded me of the whole automation uh, part of the discussion. Um, and I think that is a technical innovation in these, like, you know, the mundane, normal um, basics of life, food and water and, you know, all the things that Taurus kind of represents. Um, mm-hmm. And people, people fear automation on one level because of essentially um, obsolescence Right. Yeah. You know, who needs me anymore? How am I supposed to make money if no one needs my services anymore? Um, but the idea that a fully automated basics means a labor free, you know, ability to produce produce the basics, which means that it's the definition of free or freedom. Um, you know, taking everyone's taxes and in and paying for the basics for everyone isn't that isn't the same thing. You know, that's be the government solution, the socialist solution. But the technological solution could be that, you know, have automation can eliminate the need to have to work to earn the basics because there's doesn't take any labor cost to produce them. And that's that's like I said, the true definition of freedom. Yeah. And then, I mean, and who, no one wants to necessarily do that. It was just we now need to redefine, you know, like our own uh value as as humans, you know, from if the base labor is taken away, because a lot of people do perform those jobs and those functions. Um, And so, yeah, we're trying, we're trying to figure that out. And I mean, even like there's new legis or there's uh, new ideas being proposed by people, you know, politicians, uh, more progressive politicians around, uh, you know, taxation for people that are making money on, you know, uh, basically unearned money. Like if you're not, if you're not busting your hump to get this money, if your money's just doubling because it's sitting in some type of, you know, financial (laughs) hotspot, you're going to have to pay on that. You're not necessarily doing anything to get that wealth. And um, I found that interesting as well. And because yeah, it's unearned money, essentially, you know, you didn't do anything to get it except maybe be smart or in the right place at the right time or have the capital to begin with, which a lot of us... Or, or have the, uh, the inheritance 
to begin with. Yes, exactly. That's, that's kind of unearned money. That's unearned money too, right? I mean, it's... Well, it's funny you say that because we had a guy made a little mention at one of our meetings and he was like, you know, supposedly the trend going forward here is um, more on inheritance. Like if you're going to have money, it's not going to be because you earned it per se. It's going to be because you inherited it. Um, from, you know, <laughs> sounds, well. sounds like uh, the Rothschild plan for... Uh, <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> we own the earth because it's been passed down to us, you know. <laughs> exactly. But that's the thing. It's like you know, when you have so much power um and and uh wealth concentrated into this one little cluster, like it's just kind of keep, you know, bubbling into that cluster and only distributed in these particular areas. And it's just gonna be harder to get your piece of the pie just by doing, you know, the standard work hard, you know, and do your thing. Um, because those conditions just don't exist like they used to. Um, and that's part of the problem. So maybe that's another thing that we'll see. I know we're like, we're getting into Uranus and Taurus, but still, cause you know, maybe that's, uh, on the horizon here to, you know, to, to really look at companies like Amazon that are not sub- subjected to these, um, you know, capitalistic caps on how much money they're taking in. And so maybe that's another factor of having to shake up, um, you know, how the distribution of money through these, these corporations. So, whew, all interesting stuff, all interesting stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we have said plenty on many things here, Christopher. We tend to we we mutabled this conversation all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, before we can go here, um, tell uh, tell people where they can find you, what you got going on, if you do uh, consultations, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you can find me at sovereignharmony.com. Uh, you can also find Sovereign Harmony, the business page on Facebook. I post on an almost daily basis, depending on what's happening. Um, I also have a YouTube channel that you can find as well. Um, and right now, I, I am working a lot and kind of out of town a lot, but I am trying to um, transition my business to focus more on group scale, like I said in the beginning, um, and kind of working with families and businesses and, and on that kind of scale and using astrology to help people understand their differences uh, of approach and communication, et cetera, um, and assisting uh, for better harmonious uh, interactions. Basically, that's, mm-hmm. where, that's where sovereign harmony comes from. It's essentially recognizing that we're all unique, sovereign beings. We're complete um, and we have our own unique imprint. And part of what astrology does, it helps us understand what that is. And the only way we're going to create harmony with others is if we um, are at peace with the fact that we are all different, all unique, but all sovereign. And if we can take our differences into account and consciously um, allow for every unique expression to exist, then that's the creation of harmony. If we're um, suppressing part of ourselves, which is what we can reveal to astrology too, is, you know, what are we typically own or project or whatever. Um, that's what causes disharmony. That's what causes us to attract relationships and people into our lives um, that further destabilize us or disharmonize us. And so this the whole idea is for the goal of harmony, we've got to figure out 
what that sovereign imprint is and honor it no matter what. Mm. I love that. That's that's great, especially if you work in a team environment. Because you know, I don't even know how many times I've heard people, you know, very close to me, complaining about their particular work environment and the people that they interact with. And you know, so basically, what you're trying to do is create um, an opportunity for understanding. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Opportunity for understanding. I can't force anyone to do anything about it. I can't force anyone to be open to it in the first place, but. Um, with the choice to be open to it and with the intention to create harmony based on a new understanding, I can provide that sense of understanding. That's where I come in. Mm, I love it. That's a wonderful direction to go. And not a lot of people are doing that. So I hope that uh, you get grounded as we get into Taurus yeah. and you get exactly. that underway. So awesome. All right, people, where can you find me? Well, you can find me at energeticprinciples.com. And I always have a blog post for each of my podcast episodes. So I'll, of course, share Christopher's information there as well. Um, and if you're interested in supporting the podcast, either by getting early access or or subscribing to my Moon Animal Monthly or uh, my tarot subscription, you can do that on Patreon at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. Um, I also do consultations uh, for those who want to get in touch and, you know, really get into their own charts, because what we're talking about here are more like overlays of personal, of, you know, collective, you know, but if you want to get into your own thing, uh, feel free to reach out there. Um, and as always, if you like what you heard and you feel like other people could benefit from this conversation, you know, share it with a friend, uh, pass it along, give a nice review on iTunes, um, because all those types of things really help for visibility. So, all right, everyone. Uh, thank you again, Christopher, for joining me. I'm, I'm so glad you had some wonderful information to share. Thank you again for having me. Love it. Absolutely. All right, everyone. And thank you for tuning in. And as always, may the stars be with you. <laughs>